the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. Take your Bibles, if you would, please open it to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And uh, we're continuing in our series in this gospel, Mark chapter number 1. And today we will be looking at verses 35 through 39. The Bible says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and they that and when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. In our passage of scripture, if you remember, Jesus had just spent the entire day previously, and the evening, curing the diseased and casting out demons after an already busy day at the synagogue. His care for the city of Capernaum was unlike many unsympathetic or apathetic doctors of our day who are only in the business for money. No, our Lord, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, met each patient. And it was wrought with so much love and care that undoubtedly drained him through all the spiritual warfare in which he engaged that entire evening and into the night. If there was anyone who had the right to indulge in a moment of rest and relaxation, it was Jesus Christ. No one worked harder and served deeper for the will of the Father, than Jesus Christ. Jesus understood the urgency of the day. And the example that we learn from him is that true servants never stop serving. They do not allow personal conveniences nor physical indulgences to keep them from their appointed duty. They know that they serve at the pleasure of their sovereign. Jesus served at the pleasure and will of God the Father, John 9, 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. The previous day was a taxing day for Jesus Christ, and night had come. And as we continue in this passage of Scripture in verse number 35, the flow of this passage, we are led to assume that Jesus did not get much rest. True to form, Mark continues to describe the busy activity of the suffering servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
However, through, though Jesus was extremely busy, his spiritual life never waned. Many a minister have become so busy that many parts of their lives end up barren. Many servants become barren in their marriages. And some I've even seen end up in divorce. They become barren in their own spiritual walk. They become barren in their parenting and neglectful of the children God has graciously given them to steward. They become barren in their physical care of their own bodies that the the stress of busyness in ministry takes its toll on their hearts and causes even emotional breakdowns. However, this didn't happen to our Lord. This passage provides some wonderful spiritual principles from the way of our Lord and disciples that will keep us from breaking down spiritually. All of us are busy. Amen. To beat the barrenness of busyness. We must apply these principles from this passage so that we do not end up spiritually shipwrecked. And so I'd like to preach a message to you on beating the barrenness of busyness. To keep from becoming spiritually shipwrecked and beat the barrenness of busyness, let's learn some principles from this passage to apply to our lives. And the first principle I want us to see is found in verse number 35. Some of us may not like the first phrase of this passage, of this verse, but it says, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. What principle can we learn to beat the barrenness of busyness? Number one, Christ had a regular practice of prayer. I find no one who was busier about his father's business than Jesus Christ. Throughout the day, he was thronged by mobs to perform a miracle, or he was busy in the synagogue praying, or on the way to heal an individual. He lived with constant inconveniences, yet he made time to pray. Jesus made the hilltop his chamber and darkness his bolted door. While many men indulge in sleep, Our Savior took sacred solace to meet with God the Father. Notice his selected period of the day. His selected period of the day. Verse 35, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out. Most of us don't like that. We would prefer later in the morning, rising up around 9 or 10 o'clock. Amen? Amen. That's what most of us would do, but not Jesus Christ. Jesus made his relationship with God the priority of every day. Not only was it a show of love to the Father, but it was also a diligent use of time. No time can be better for private communion with God than first thing in the morning. The body is refreshed by its recent rest. The mind is strengthened in its energy. Our stress is minimal. And the whole surrounding so calm and tranquil. Godly saints in every age have loved to give their freshest thoughts to God and seek his aid before the busyness of the day begins. A great while before day. David, the psalmist of Israel, said in Psalm 63, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. 
My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Theologian M.F. Sadler said, Christians have often to choose between the indulgence of a little more sleep and a time of prayer cut short and scant and hurried devotion or between a little self-denial in sleep and the freshest and best hours of the day given to God and God blessing the self-denial by answering the prayer. Which do we choose? Is our choice prayer to God first thing early in the morning, maybe even a great while before day, or is it later on? Do we spend time in prayer, or do we spend time on our phones, news, sports, social media, yea, even video games? How often is time wasted in the mornings? When we could be productive, already busy, but busy in that which is spiritual. What engages our minds as primary priority in the day is our first love. If we want to pray well, we must pray early like our Savior. Not only do we notice his selected time of prayer, But notice his solitary place of prayer. Look in verse number 35, the latter part of that verse. It says, and departed into a solitary place to pray. And there prayed. Spending time alone with God the Father was as common to Jesus Christ as breathing. Matthew 14 verse 23 tells us, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Jesus Christ not only prayed early in the morning, but he also prayed at night. Mark 6, 46 tells us, And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. He got alone with God. Luke 4, 42, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. John 6, 15, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force, To make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Solitude by our Savior with the sovereign was sweet to him. And if we are going to pray well, we should not only pray early, but we should also pray in solitude. Solitude for Jesus Christ was another name for communion with God. Jesus regarded the duty of solitary prayer as of great importance. He made it intentional to get apart and pray. Furthermore, it was so that he didn't come across as a practice for show. The religious hypocrites lived to show their piety by public prayer. But notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. He said, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door... Pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. 
We should not seek to pray publicly just for show of our piety. Now, there is nothing wrong with praying publicly. There are times when that is necessary because we also see that Jesus prayed publicly. We see other times the apostles prayed publicly. There is a time and place appropriate for public prayer. Remember, Jesus prayed publicly at the feeding of the 5,000 when he broke the bread. When he broke the bread and drank the cup at the Lord's Supper, that was public prayer. So there's nothing wrong with public corporate prayer. But understand, when our private prayers are powerful and effectually, effectual, we have no problems when we are asked to pray publicly. Why? Because we are so accustomed to praying to one in private that even publicly we know we are still praying to one. If you are accustomed to regular, solitary, secret prayer to only one, then when we are asked to pray publicly, we are still only praying to only one. What does it matter what other people think? It should not matter what other people think. Not only do we see his uh, uh, selected time and, and his sacred place, but I want you to see, notice thirdly, his sacred practice. In verse 35, the latter part, it says, and there prayed. That was a sacred appointment that Jesus had with God the Father. Eighteen times our Lord's own prayers are spoken of in the Gospels, bringing out these following verses. Number one, we see his regular practice of prayer. Matthew 14, 23. Mark 1, 35, our passage today. Luke 3, 21. And Luke 5, 16. Luke 6, 12. Luke 9, 28. And Luke 11.1. 1. It was a regular practice of prayer for Jesus Christ. Do we have regular practice of prayer? In solitude with God? Not only do we see his regular practice of prayer, but I want you to see also he blended thanksgiving with prayer. He blended thanksgiving with prayer. Matthew 11, verse 25 says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. In his prayer, he thanked God. It's also seen in Luke 10, verse 21, and John 11, verse 41. So he had a regular practice of prayer. He blended thanksgiving with prayer and he interceded in prayer. Thirdly, he interceded in prayer. And how did he intercede? Number one, he interceded for friends. Luke 22, verse 32. He interceded for enemies even. Luke 23, verse 34. Yes, enemies. He prayed for his enemies. Thirdly, he interceded for himself and his disciples, John 17, that great priestly prayer. And then, finally, he interceded in prayer as, uh, for his complete submission to the Father's will. Matthew 26, 39, Mark 15, 34, Luke 22, 42, 
and John 12, 27. Prayer should be our key to our mornings and our lock in our nights. If Jesus prayed this much and this deeply and this often and saw that it was that important, how much more important should it be for us? If he did it in the morning, how much more important should it be for us before the world gets possession of our thoughts and before the onslaught of the spiritual wickedness in high places barrage our emotions? Jesus made prayer his first priority and he made prayer his close of the day. What about you? A second principle we can glean from this passage in order to beat the barrenness of busyness is this. In verses 36 and 37, we see, And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. The second principle I want us to see is this. True disciples always know where to find the master. Jesus was away in solitude, in prayer, with God the Father. The rest of Capernaum, the night before, had been at Peter's house. So when Peter got up in the morning, the people were still there, asking probably to show more miracles or do great things. But Peter knew where to find Jesus Christ. It says, and, when, and Simon and they that were with him followed after him. They knew that in some hidden place, he could be found in the early hours of the day. They knew the mind and manner of their master. When they went through the storm in Galilee, they knew where Jesus was in the back of the boat. True disciples seek the master and know where they can find the master. In all things. Proverbs 8 verse 17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Do you seek after the master? First Chronicles 22, 19, first part of that verse says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Do we know where to find God? When the busyness comes in the day, when the trials come, when the storms arise, do we know where to find the master? Do you see Christ so often that you know exactly how to get in contact with him? You say, Pastor, how do we seek Christ? How do we seek God to get in contact with him? Spend time in his word. That's where you seek God. That's where you will find God. And you will also find him when you pray. So when life gets too busy, to avoid becoming barren, seek the Lord. Be still. Psalm 49, uh, 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. Take that time away. Spend time with him. Find him and he will be found of us. The third principle that we can learn from this passage to beat the barrenness of busyness is in verse 37. And it's this. The latter part of the verse says, all men seek for thee. Third principle we can find, learn from this passage, 
is that all men seek God. All men seek God. You say, wait, wait a minute, Pastor, that doesn't sound right. Well, let me explain here a minute. Peter, knowing where to find uh, Jesus Christ, announced to Christ that the city of Capernaum had been looking for him. Clearly, the events of the previous day were not enough. Maybe some sought Christ just to see the miracles because they had that entertainment mentality, and people still have that today. Others sought Christ to be healed or have another demon cast out. That's the hospital mentality. Cure me and then I'll be done. Others undoubtedly sought to dismantle him. Religious leaders had to have heard of this one causing such a commotion in the city, preaching and still teaching against their regulations and traditions. So they sought to make him look bad. While others truly and humbly with a broken spirit, sought to fill the void in their lives and truly follow him as the Messiah. The reality is this, however, without knowledge of a supernatural divine worker, natural men do not seek after God. Romans 3.11 tells us there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In our sinful nature, we do not seek after God. But deep down, all men are seeking something or someone to fill the void of their unfulfillment. The search to appease a higher being is a profound reality that confronts every person. Any soul that has any measure of moral value seeks to find something, someone, or some agenda that helps him rise above self. Something that will redeem him from his littleness. In every heart. There's a subconscious notion that is void of God, a vacuum of soul that needs to be filled. For this reason, Luke tells us that Jesus is the one who initiated this act. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The hymn writer Walton W. Spencer wrote these words, In tenderness he sought me weary and sick with sin and on his shoulders brought me into his fold again while angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang oh the love that sought me oh the blood that bought me oh the grace that brought me to the fold wondrous grace that brought me to the fold it was god who did it first It was Jesus who sought us first. And the tone of Peter's statement was to induce Jesus from his place of retreat and to continue with his instruction and works. The people sought after Jesus Christ because Jesus had already gone to them, had already done the work in them. And while the crowd wanted to see Jesus and Peter found him and induced him to return to this massive audience, Jesus gave them an interesting reply. Would you look there in verse number 38? In verse 38, the Bible says, And he said unto them, Let us go into where? The next towns, 
that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. His reply indicated that he is not subject to the masses, but to the will of God. Jesus was not going to let the crowds, society, the pressure of the masses dictate his ministry. This brings us to the last principle in this passage that we can learn from Jesus Christ about how he beat the barrenness of busyness. Number four, Christ desires to reach as many souls as possible. He'd already ministered to the city of Capernaum the previous night. If you remember last week, we talked about how all the city was at Peter's house. Well, here, Jesus says, let's go to the next towns. I've already ministered here. There is so much more work to do in other places. Jesus sought for all mankind. And he didn't wait for people to come to him. He was going to other people. Because he had already gone after them, then others who heard of this amazing being, human being with a message that amazed their soul, had their appetites wet with good news. Jesus could have continued in Capernaum, but there was so much more work. And there were so many more souls to save. He was scaling his ministry to other regions because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ had already laid the foundation in Capernaum so that he hurriedly made his way to the next town. His desire was to preach glad tidings to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives. And so he demonstrated an urgency to deliver this gospel great message and scatter the seeds of hope as widely as he could. It was for this reason Jesus came forth from his retreat to impact the next town. And folks, it is for this reason we are given the Great Commission. The gospel seed must be spread out. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in the city first, Jerusalem, and in Judea, the province, and in Samaria, the country, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This glorious message must be spread out. And Jesus wanted to reach as many souls as possible. To keep from being barren, we must remember that we have a purpose. We have a commission. We have a reason to get up every single day. And that is to make an impact for the glory of Jesus Christ on, in the souls of mankind here in our communities to reach them with the glorious hope of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Let me close with this. This passage presents us with this amazing truth. Prayer and work are inseparable. With Christ, these two things were always closely associated. 
Prayer was to him the sequel of one's day's, one day's work and the prelude of another. These are primary responsibilities as believers to maintain our walk with God in prayer and in God's word and then be about our father's business in spreading the gospel. Those are the two primary fundamental practices of every Christian. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kahiwat. For more information, visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.